Hi, this is Doug Jones, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. I know! Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess, and we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet again another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. The only podcast guaranteed that if you listen, you can hear stuff. This week it's episode 467. It's listening time, kids. So let's do that. We are in pandemic show mode still because we got a jerk in a house in Washington, D.C. who doesn't know how to take care of jack shit. And because of the need for social distancing and the clogging of the interwebs, the World Wide Web is just filled full of stupidity. And we can only get a clear signal for a few people. So it's just me in Area 51 with, with Captain Cam in his hermetically sealed tube. Captain Cam, how you doing, my buddy? I'm doing pretty darn good, you know. I mean, a hermetically sealed tube. It's currently half full of jello. You know, so it's, I, I'm doing good. I have told you not to go to those kind of clubs before. Clubs? Clubs? I, I just figured, you know, go to jello wrestling matches. That's oh, just oh, oh. okay. I just do it so that, you know, when I fall asleep, I don't fall over and hit my head against the tube. You know, okay. half full kind of holds me up. Okay. So I, I, have, out. I have something to bitch about tonight. Uh-oh. And 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 I am going to bitch about Star Trek Voyager. Uh, I'm not Star Trek Voyager. I think you're a little late. Star Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> Star Trek Discovery season three. Uh, if you haven't seen the final episode of season three, uh, just stick your fingers in your ears and go la 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 la. And if you don't know when stop too goddamn bad uh because friend of the show friend of mine uh and and ultimate gentleman doug jones stepped away from the show uh in the final episode of season three in what was the most one of the most beautiful beautiful episodes that show has done in three seasons and it was just heartbreaking to watch him leave the show and oh my god uh mr jones uh in all all the shows and movies that i have seen you do uh um, uh from uh, um um uh, from from everything that you've done and and friend that you've been to us i i sat there in stunned silence and was just oh god Cam, I I know you haven't seen it yet, but I'm telling you now, you will cry. 
All right. You will. It is just one of the most beautiful episodes in the new series of, of, of Discovery that I have ever. They have done such a, a beautiful job in bringing the new Star Trek forward. And, and, and if you're not a Trekker, too goddamn bad. And if you hate uh, 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 spoilers, <laughs> man, are you listening to the wrong podcast right now? And, and yeah, too bad. Uh, anyhow, enough about me and enough about spoilers and enough about the next 14 days uh, when, <laughs> when life may actually be good again. Uh, Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but on, on to funner things. Like icky, cool, creepy, fun, gothic horror and neighbors. And thanks to the pandemic, neighbors that I didn't even know that I had. Uh, <laughs> I uh, joining us on, on our, our show tonight are, is, is, is a guest of an author who uh, has written some really interesting books that we want to talk about and has a really interesting life and does some really interesting stuff besides being an interesting writer. Her name is Jennifer Ann Gordon, and she's a newbie to the show here. And Jennifer Ann Gordon, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey, Dome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cameron. Uh, before we go into anything, I just want to say at my senior prom, my date did not give me a corsage. He gave me a Star Trek communicator from Next Gen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm good not a huge him. I know, good for him. I wasn't a huge Trekkie, but I was like, okay, I I can get on board with this. It's better than a flower that he knew I would be allergic to. So um yeah, so that's my that that's all I wanted to say. Hello everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um I got to know you in a roundabout way. Uh, stalking stalking absolute stalking so what if i told you (laughs) i'm outside your house right now (laughs) Uh, a mutual friend sent us one of your books actually sent us a a promo sheet uh, which sent us to your website and then said so what do you think? And we said, send us your books. And it turns out that Cam had read book two of um of the of, of the, the hotel. hotel. You read book do you read book two before book one? It was a mistake. I didn't realize the order, and I got him in the. I got him backwards. Yeah, that was my. That was my boo boo. I made a little boo boo. Actually, I discovered it halfway through the book. I'm looking, going, wait a minute. There's this all this mention at the beginning about you know this other book, and I'm going, let me just look. I said, oh shoot, I'm reading up the wrong order. But I know I got about halfway through, and then realized my mistake. That's okay. That's okay. I originally wrote them as one long book, so. Uh, maybe so, so what we want to talk about is a couple of things. Uh, we're, we're talking about a, a two-book series uh, that that's probably going to be more, but we'll talk about that in a little bit, called The Hotel. 
And this hotel takes place on a place called Dagger Island. Uh, which, fictional place. Which is not actually a fictional place. <laughs> it does exist off the coast of Maine, off the coast of Portland, Maine, to be exact. Well, the real one exists off of Bar Harbor. Bar Harbor, excuse me. Right. Put and the there is a... There is a real island I'm basing it off of. Ah, okay. And that is not off the coast. It's my fictionalized island is a hybrid between two islands. Uh, one is Star Island and the Isles of Shoals, which is off mm-hmm. the coast of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Right. And what? and yep. the and the hotel that this is based on is architecturally based on the hotel on Star Island, even though that hotel is a hotel. It's not. A lunatic asylum um but it's also <laughs> just for the record i love star island um and uh it's also a little bit based on like kind of just geographically like peaks island uh, off the coast of yeah. portland yeah, yeah. you see so now i want to go back and reread the book because now that i know you were thinking about star island i'm going to be i'm going to be about magic because i had just my own image in my own head now that you've mentioned Star Island, because I've been there, I'm now going to have to go back, reread the book, and imagine that Star Island yeah, as Dagger Island. Star Island, just a little bit bigger. Like, Star Island, if you press that onto a piece of silly putty and stretched it out just, like, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so, which came first for you in this, in, in, in putting this book together, the chicken or the eggs, the... the, the the, the the concept or the the people because um, I think in this case it's kind of really important. Yeah. So honestly, the the person uh, Isabel from the first book from Daylight to Madness came to me first, and this is when I'm going to sound crazy, and it's fine. I'm fine with sounding crazy. Um, about um, I think now six or seven years ago, I was doing past life regression hypnosis and I had under in a session I had exactly the first few pages of from daylight to madness it it like flashed in my head and uh if people who know me in real life and know my character Isabel we have a lot of similarities but we have a lot of differences Isabel gave birth to a child who died and I am motherless. I mean, motherless. I mean, childless. Well, that was a Freudian slip there. Wow. wow that was wow. a Freudian slip. Ooh, weird. Um, or it's bourbon talking. Uh, but so let's, I, let's go with the bourbon. It's bourbon. <laughs> bourbon. For my family that's listening, it's the bourbon. Um, so I, I had this like, you know, uh, vision of this woman who was losing a child and that stuck with me. And I thought, I wonder what her life would be like. Can I ask had how like. old you were when you had this regression? Um, I was in my mid-30s. I was in my mid-30s. So that Isabel is roughly in the book about 36, which is like almost elderly for Victorian era. I was going to say, she, she doesn't read quite that old. I mean, she didn't feel to me to she's, be Yeah, she's kind of. In my brain, she's 36, but at, at the same time, she she's led like this very stunted life as a character. Yes. She was orphaned young, brought to a poor house, had 
um, I, you know, incredibly intense emotional feelings towards another girl and then ended up marrying a man and not being able to get pregnant for a very long time. And then when she finally does give birth, it does not go well. Well, that's putting it mildly. Yeah. I'm like, it doesn't go well. (laughs) It goes (laughs) awful. I mean, the baby does die and it's, yeah. And then she's slowly kind of driven mad by her own grief and by her family's insistence that she grieve in a certain way, quietly and away from them. <laughs> her family's insistent she, she, she not grieve. Exactly. Like, yes. can't you just behave? Can't you mm. just, like, bounce back? You're normal now. Move on. Move on. That Stiff up her lip and all that <laughs> yeah, sort exactly. of stuff. Yeah. Be a proper so woman proper woman so i it's very victorian era and it's Mm -hmm. very very and i can say this because um you know i'm from new hampshire it's very it's very granite state very much so yeah it's very new england where even now there's a lot of like just like hold it in stick up her lip to keep going very large so yeah um and it's 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 difficult to read it is uh, i know it's not it's not easy material it's not written in a uh, traditionally narrative way cuz i i am inc- i was a poet before i was a novelist and i still haven't given that up as you can probably tell when you read it. We can tell, yes. There's definitely a poetry to how you write. And there's a there's a rhythm. There's like a if if you say it out loud, there's a rhythm in the language, like the repetitive phrases. It's yeah. There's a there's 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 a weirdness that is almost musical. Almost classical musicality, (gasps) the way in which the words roll. Um, That's, I I, I just honestly, I want to cry because. Well, you can. Yeah. um, I can't. I'm dead inside. I'm from New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) Yeah, 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 I forgot about that. (laughs) No, no, there's nothing. There's nothing here. Okay. Um, No, uh. So I, I I know you read my bio. I went to school for theater and I went to school for acting. So when I write, I say the words out loud all the time. And my my husband is a classical guitarist and I'm a trained dancer. So there is a there's a rhythm in my head that sometimes doesn't work with traditional narrative when I'm writing. And I keep telling people, I'm like, if you say it out loud, it makes more sense. Uh my very, very first editor for a different book said, you're writing this the way you speak and the way you move. And nobody wants that. You need to write it for a reader. And I said, well, fuck that. I'm not doing that. Okay. You realize he was a schmuck. Yeah. Okay, good. I, yeah, I do. It was, okay. I mean, it was nobody that I'm involved with in the, like, the publishing world now and nobody that I use as an editor now. It was somebody that, um, that was working on a rough draft of my very first book 
And I ignored all of his advice, and that book went on to win multiple awards. <laughs> so, ain't it you. the way that always happens? <laughs> no, it's not the way it always happens. No, I uh, it's dumb luck. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's dumb luck or not. It's it's a matter of uh, it. It's a matter of when you find your voice. You have to make sure that others hear it the way you want it to be heard. Which brings me to back to Isabel. Yeah. And and the way you treat your characters. You do not treat your characters kindly. No. <laughs> I don't. Um. And it occurs to me that you have a certain disdain, not for your characters, but for the time period in which you write and yes. for the, for the way the world was then <clears throat> um exactly so um so from daylight to madness and when the sleeping dead still talk which are that is my hotel series those are victorian era based uh gothic horror but i would say that even when i'm writing in a contemporary setting like my book beautiful frightening and silent and the book i'm working on right now i always write with a disdain of I don't want to say yeah I, I actually I will say this a disdain for the societal norms uh, whether in the Victorian era it's a disdain for um, repression and putting women in their place uh, I'm writing a book right now which is contemporary but there's still a disdain for the the superficial nature of our society now the disdain for uh, being an Instagram influencer, being a career, <laughs> disdain for politics, all of that kind of. Oh my, I wonder where that I, might come from. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I think there's always, you know, I, I write very character driven pieces, but there's always characters that people don't see as characters. One of them is the setting and one of them is the society that's around them, even if they're silent. Hmm. It's interesting because I definitely saw the setting as a character. Like the hotel yes. itself is absolutely just, it's alive. Yeah. That hotel alive. in both books, it is alive. And, you know, by the end of that last book, that life has reached a point which I'm not even going to talk about because, again, like I don't like to reveal spoilers. I've said yeah. that a dozen times. <gasps> hashtag but spoilers. There, hashtag spoilers. <laughs> but there's such this, this – you definitely get the feeling that this hotel is alive, and you almost get the, this weird feeling that it is affecting the people that go there. It's so, more than just the doctor. Yeah, there's yeah. something about that island so it's and that really, hotel. Yeah, it is the island. I mean, it's – you know – Again, spoiler alert, my first book, Beautiful, Frightening, and Silent, which is a contemporary gothic novel, also takes place on Dagger Island. Not oh. in the hotel. 
Um, but there's a, a one-off line in that book where they say, somebody's like, what, why the, like, why the fuck is this island like this? And somebody, and somebody says like, there was a, a woman who drowned off the coast of this hotel and her lover wanted her back so bad he ripped the world in half. Mm-hmm. And this was part of my understanding of that. Like, how do I tie my universes together? But then while writing this, I realized, no, they didn't do this. It was already like this. There's something about this land. There's something about um, that northern Atlantic Ocean and the rocks. And something was there before all of them. And I, even as an author who's creating it, I don't exactly know what that is yet. But I'm trying to find it. And that's so true just in reality. There are so many fantastic ghost stories for that coast that, you know, you can honestly believe like the number of haunted lighthouse stories that they that actually they're not, you know, fictionally made up. These are actual ghost stories for that coast. It's just amazing. There's just something about just even that coast of Maine that's just got this haunting feeling. It does. And it's, you know, I'd say like this, this uh, haunted New England coast, it starts, you know, in Massachusetts and it literally that same feeling, that same driving weird energy goes all the way up into Canada, up to Nova Scotia, up to Halifax, which is called the city of mourning because so many terrible disasters have happened there right on their seacoast. Um, I just, I, I'm fascinated by it. I've been drawn to it since I was a kid. Why? What oh. was it that drew you? What can, can, if you think about it, what was the moment that you went? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Um, you know, I, I always say it's a weird trifecta of, of things. Uh, <laughs> One was that I'm an only child, so I had to use a lot of imagination a lot of my life. Um, But I did play with neighborhood children in a cemetery that was a few blocks from my house. And I always felt very comfortable and I found it very beautiful. Two being every year on my birthday, from the time I was very young, I had one birthday, but my parents brought me to Star Island on the Isles of Shoals for like a day picnic. And there was something about that island that I loved so much. And after that, my parents were like, don't you want to do something more fun on your birthday as opposed to coming to this island where there is literally nothing to do? There's just this old hotel, a strange graveyard, a gazebo and a bunch of buildings we can't go into. Uh, But every year I said, nope. I want to go to Star Island. I want to go to Star Island. I want to go to Star Island for my birthday. So that's two of the things, Cemetery, Star Island. And uh, when I was 10, I my uncle was living with us for a little while, and he had a copy of Pet Cemetery in his room. <laughs> and it was like that you know, mass market 1980s paperback version of Pet Cemetery. So it had the big cat on the front. And I thought, ooh, that's a grown-up book about cats. And I kind of, (laughs) yeah, kind of. And I took it out of his room and I hid it in my dollhouse, which was like this big old Victorian dollhouse. And I would read it hiding behind my dollhouse any chance I could get. 
And I knew how wrong it was for a 10 year old to be reading that because it was scary as hell. But more than that, it was really fucking sad. And as a 10 year old, I thought, I don't need to know this much about death. But at the same time, I thought, I need to know more about death. <laughs> I'm going to really that- understand where the hotel came from. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Making more sense by the minute. Yeah, it? it just makes more sense. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. I've always just been just drawn to. I, I hate to say drawn to the darkness because that's just like sounds so freaking cheesy, but drawn to that veil between worlds. And this can be supernatural and natural. It can be, you know, otherworldly, as in like whatever's in space, whatever you believe in for your religion. I I love diehard belief in something that you cannot see or feel mm-hmm. tangentially. <laughs> so uh, we've talked about the first book. I would like to get into the second book because unfortunately, <gasps> like like you like you say, like you said, uh, or like I said earlier, I made the mistake of getting close to halfway through the second book before realizing I was reading the wrong book first. Yeah, and, so there's and, a couple and, twists that you were just like, oh, okay. That you weren't yeah. like, oh my god, Agnes? Well, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or Isabel? Yeah. yeah. That that was the biggest one that I that I think I personally lost, was like, I'm going, okay, wait a second book, okay, and I'll put up the first book, and oh, this is all about, is, oh, well, I guess uh, I know how this one ends. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I hate to, it's really difficult to talk about the second book without giving away the end of From Daylight to Madness. So let's is, be really careful here, Kim. Oh, I'm, I'm, you, you know, I am amazingly careful about tiptoeing amazingly through the landmine. So. Uh, 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 because the when ver- I really. Oh, I was going to say the very good thing about talking about um, when the sleeping dead still talk Francis's story is that. He is a really great, unreliable narrator because (laughs) (laughs) you you don't know when he's hallucinating and when he's not. (laughs) And that is part of what I wanted to talk with you about, because what really because then I finally got to go back to the second book and read it after reading the first book. And like I told you in an email when we were talking a little while ago, there is so many things you you insert them into that first book that pay off in spades Thank in the second you. book like the the tiny little graveyard with tiny little graves I you're going know. and you get to the end of that that first book and you go but what about the graveyard uh, jennifer yeah. jennifer what about that graveyard? I know. what about the graveyard jennifer i have heard that people are like it's too bad you didn't do more with the graveyard and i was like <laughs> you do understand that my second book is already done i wrote them as one novel <laughs> I just chopped them in half. I'm like, don't worry, the graveyard's covered. And they're like, eh, yeah, because that was just like the worst part, that you didn't go there. And I'm like, <gasps> I did go there. Yes, you just had to I read the really second book. <laughs> oh, and you did. You did, because once, because that and the attic I and know, the I'm... cats oh, and the cats. Agnes. Yes, this is what I mean. And you, you, and like you said, Francis, who's the priest who we meet in the first book, you know, he is like you said, he is so untrustworthy a narrator that 
halfway, like I said, the little once I finished reading the first book and came back in the second book and got back to that halfway point again, I'm going, wait a minute, do, do, what? That yeah, that doesn't sound right. And I'm literally second guessing everything, especially when the doctor comes, Doctor Hawthorne. I'm uh, sorry. What no, an um, yeah, Mr. Yeah. Hughes, Doctor Hawthorne. He's such an yeah. asshole. Yes, yeah. yes. Because I got, I almost stopped myself because because every time Francis would call him Hawthorne, he said it's Doctor Hughes or Mr. Hughes. I'm yeah. Like, yes, it's Mr. Hughes or Doctor Hughes. But there's this moment where he looks at Francis and he says, "You didn't have a relationship with it. You know, you weren't dating <laughs> Isabel. There was no relationship." What are you talking about? And you go, but, 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 but I could have sworn he said he was in this. And then you yeah. start going, am I, you know, not understanding things? And there's one other thing that you twist into this, this book. Because the first one, like you said, there's gothic horror. There's this, you know, this, you know, it's a ghost story. It's all this stuff in Isabel's life, which is difficult to say the least. And then you go to Francis, whose life wasn't much easier. But there's this mystery you then choose to weave into this second yes. book. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, please forgive me if this is a, if you can tell me if this isn't, but there is actually a murder mystery built in there. It in is. In my personal opinion. It is. So, you know, and that, uh, and, and I love that you said that because you're actually the only person who's come right out to say it. But there's a specific line where Agnes, who I, I love to hate and I love to write so much, when she she just like is antagonizing Francis and she's just saying like don't you want to know if you killed them don't you want to know if you killed any of them yes and that line for Agnes to me when I wrote it was just like there it is that's the core of this entire kind of series Mm -hmm. um and it's not just so Agnes says this to Francis but she could have said those same words to Isabel about her son like don't you want to know if you killed him mm-hmm. yes so um the, the reason why i love gothic horror and gothic fiction so much is there's like this there's always doubling and mirroring like certain characters will have such similar lives or they'll like opposite each other almost to the point of it's like counterbalancing a circle and you know, so Agnes to me was that thing in the middle of the circle that was just like able to balance Francis and Isabel's stories, but also twist them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's and that's what I loved is that there's there's it really is. It feels like because, I mean, you know, I love my detective. I mean, I'm, I'm science fiction, fantasy and horror. But one of my other little uh, favorite things is good detective fiction. Yes. And I felt this wonderful, like there's moments where Hawthorne, yes, is very despicable, but there's these moments where you you see him, you know, doing acting like you would expect a detective to. Yeah, he's trying. He really loves. So, uh, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but like Hawthorne, exactly. Like he sucks so bad. He's such an asshole. But (laughs) he, I mean, he's so despicable. But at the same time, I was like, what if you take the most despicable kind of person and make him the like the Poirot of this where he's Mm -hmm. like, I just need to figure out the mystery. So I tried to put the character, the character archetype that I love so much, which is detective uh, and make him just the worst thing I could possibly make him be. Mm -hmm. 
and like it's so un, un like he's unredeemable. It's interesting you say Poirot because that's exactly what I was thinking. That because oh. Poirot is very much a psychological detective. Yes. He thinks, in fact, one of the mysteries, and I can never remember which one it is, and I just finished reading it for like the third time, like two months ago. That's the nice thing about being in lockdown. Um, is that it was he had to literally because it was like a cold case, um, and he had to literally just interview each one of the suspects and figure out psychologically who did it because he didn't have any evidence. And that's what we're seeing with Hawthorne as well, is that that ability and that it, to basically psychologically figure out whether it happened and and who did and, what. And who did what. And really what happened, because and I'm trying to, you know, not give away too many spoilers, but Francis obviously has, you know, a memory problem. And there's times of his life that he doesn't remember. And there's people in his life that may or may not be real. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think the Hawthorne Francis relationship to me was weirdly hard to write, but also it felt good to explore those two because in, in some ways Francis is the son that Hawthorne had always wanted. I got that same feeling. So yeah. Okay. That, that, that's, that's good. Yeah. Like he, he, I mean, he weirdly loves Francis in a healthier way than he loves his own daughter, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like, I, I, every time I wrote their scenes, sometimes I was like, I don't want to make Hawthorne likable or lovable. But uh, you, you still, you, I you didn't, did. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. But you, but, but in a weird way, you still have to kind of root for his detective abilities and his like abilities and mesmerism because you need Francis to remember who he is and what he is. Yep. Or at least some of it. Yeah. Or at least some of it. Yeah. Right. So the real question then becomes, is there in your mind somewhere a book three? There is. Oh really? Yeah. But, really? <laughs> but um, so, and it, it it's a long way out. I shouldn't say a long way out, but it's probably a couple books out because I needed a little break. <laughs> that was my guess. Emotionally, it's, it's just not from... happening in the next couple of years. No, and Thank it's you. and I would say for for everybody who's listening and everybody who's purchased the books and they keep asking me, the Francis and Isabel story is done. Like that can be loose air quotes, but you haven't you have a period at the end of that sentence. But I do have a book three floating around in my head, which is an Agnes book, which is kind of Agnes before everything goes really horribly wrong in her life. Again, trying not to do spoilers, but I think you both know what I mean. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Yep. And I was thinking about it before, like when I finally finished book two and I'm looking at this and I'm going, where would she go if she wrote a book three? And I'm sitting there and look, going through everything. Because like you said, the uh, the love story between Francis and yep. Isabel, there's it's a period done. at the end of that. Yeah, there's a period at the end of the sentence. Like and they have their whatever it is, happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And my thought was, <laughs> it has to be Agnes. We need to know more because in the second book, we start to learn a hell of a lot more about Agnes. And we really do need to know more about her. Yeah, you know, my idea is definitely um, kind of a book told in two parts, which I love to do because that's, I guess that's how my brain works, which is really Agnes up until about age 13. And then Agnes, where we leave her at the end of When the Sleeping Dead Still Talk. To me, and I'm just throwing this out there because... I love to throw the 14-sided dice. <laughs> oh. Is if these rooms could talk. I know. There's, I mean, there's a short story collection in that hotel. There yes. sure as hell is. I mean, there's multiple short story collections in that hotel. Yeah. You need to do that. You really yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's good to hear because I keep thinking like, oh, gosh, I have this. Um I mean, I know she was only like, she's barely in book one, but that character, Patricia, the one who like chews her food 23 times. And yes, yes. Like, she was one of the ones I was going to suggest. I said, cause yeah. I couldn't remember her name, but her, yeah. that would be a great character. Yeah. She needs a book. Um, you know, like the poor little maid petal Daisy. She needs a book. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's, um, or, or a story they just they just need their story stories told agnes so what's funny is when i started a billion years ago from daylight to madness agnes didn't even exist in my mind like hawthorne was there and then one night i had a dream and in the dream i was someplace you know like dreams don't make sense you're someplace and someone says to you oh that girl there she shot her father for no reason and in the dream, me or whoever I was said, nobody shoots their father for no reason. Yep. <laughs> and and then I remember in the dream, I said, what's her name? And somebody went, her name's Agnes. And I woke up and I just wrote that down. And I didn't even think that she was part of this universe until all of a sudden I was like, there's a girl playing the piano and holy shit, it's Agnes. There she is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I had written From Daylight to Madness and When the Sleeping Dead Still Talk all as one book. Uh, but From Daylight to Madness came out first. And everybody, the, the letters I got, the emails I got, the comments I got all said the same thing. Like, I want more Francis. And I know I shouldn't, but I want more Agnes. <laughs> and I was like, well, thank God, because. <laughs> because here it comes. Like, oops, because book two. You thought it was Isabel's story. Nope. It's it's not. Well, what can I tell you? I mean, Jennifer was born a strange, pale. Oh, no. Scared of ghosts. She was originally from New Hampshire, studied acting at the New Hampshire Institute of Art. She's grown up to become an actress, at times a magician's assistant. Artist, dancer, muse, and a really interesting writer. She currently haunts lonely places in New Hampshire, even though she's not dead yet. And thank goodness she isn't, because uh, Cam and I were talking today, and please take this as it's meant to be. Uh oh. <laughs> I was trying to describe to Cam. 
how this book is because I have these weird phrase, music, word, muses that go through me as I'm writing, reading, and I like to listen to music as I read these books. And there's a Crosby Nash album that came out in 2004, which should not match this book in any way, shape or form. And yet, as I played it for Cam today, he realized that it does. It oh does. Gosh. You have to send me. The, are you going to play the song? I, I can't legally. You don't play it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. You can't legally. Sorry. Do not uh, play that. Please what, send me the title of the song. What, it's uh, when we get off, I'll, I'll play you the piece. But then I then I explained to him trying to explain what this book is in my head. It's like a Diego Rivera fresco. <gasps> oh. That's been covered by a Jackson Pollock painting. That or I have chills literally from head to toe right now. <laughs> I love that. So and I said, so if I say that to her, she will either be horribly offended or she will know exactly what I mean. No, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I love that so much. I, I do I paint as well, not as much as I used to, but my favorite thing to do because I do mixed media and um like abstract work and sometimes my husband and I co-paint together is we will paint over our old paintings or we'll paint over things Son that we of find a bitch. How we did find, I know that? Yeah, we How find did I things feel at, like that? goodwill and we'll paint over it, but then Part of our painting, like when we do mixed media together, is we literally will like carve a piece of our painting off and like rip it off so it looks like decaying, peeling wallpaper, and you can see whatever's underneath there. So when you said that, that's like a huge, huge compliment because uh, it's it's how I create in general. It's just how I create in general, and it's definitely how I create my my uh, my books when I write. You might think you're reading one story, but you're actually reading two stories underneath that. You called it dumb. Jennifer Ann Gordon has been our guest tonight. And my guess is she's going to be back here a lot. Jennifer Ann, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. This was great. Um, It's just honestly... As an author, it's just so fun to talk to people who've read the work and um, appreciate its its many faceted weirdness. So, thank you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon, and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts, 
For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com. And don't forget to try the Watts sauce. We have, we love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp. And a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. Oh, the day is red and the fish is dead. Uh, oh, where did it go from there? Ah. Baby eager. <laughs> and the dust finally settles on a bed full of nettles. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Don't forget to tip your wait staff. That was great. <laughs>